from Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology, and the colored shavings. Hello everyone and welcome back to The Dairy Show. I'm once again your host, Katie Schmidt, and this week we have a little different program planned for all of you as we actually re-air the highlights of a Rule America Live segment that World Dairy Expo did in partnership with Dairy Management Inc. last month. So, in other words, this episode is going to be more or less hosted by Rural America Live's anchor, Christina Loren. And along with her, our panelists, Barbara Bryan, who is the president of Dairy Management, Inc., Eve Pullett, the senior vice president of strategic intelligence at DMI, and Paul Zeminski, DMI's executive vice president of global innovation partnerships. This is a great conversation that was a part of an hour-long special, again, that we did with RFD TV, and I wanted to share some of the great takeaways that these experts had to give in regards to consumer insights in a COVID-19 world. So without further ado, here is the program. Let's talk about some of the primary obstacles that the dairy industry has faced since the pandemic started. You know, like many business sectors, dairy experienced numerous challenges, um, including supply chain issues that affected both our commercial markets as well as non-commercial channels. Normally, reliable markets or destinations for our dairy products, like restaurants or schools, I think we all saw it. They suddenly shut down. It was like an overnight turnoff. You know, and it's important to know 50% of dairy products, particularly cheese and butter, moves through the food service or the restaurant channel. At the same time, people, families were told to shelter at home, which resulted in a surge in home-cooked meals and greater demand at retail. So processing plants, milk, cheese, yogurt, powder plants were running at full capacity. And as we all know, one more dynamic with, with businesses shuttered and growing unemployment, we also saw a growing hunger crisis. If you can imagine a 70% increase in demand at food banks and pantries, and 40% of those people turning to food banks were first-time users. Uh. It's so hard to see the pictures. We're still seeing the lines outside of food banks. We know how important dairy is to these food banks as well. Eve, let's bring you into the conversation as we start to think about the compounding impact of the pandemic on our nation's farmers. It's also important to consider how consumers have been impacted because the farmers feed them and they in turn feed the farmers. To help us better understand that side of the equation, what are some of the key observations that you have noticed about consumer behavior during the pandemic? Yeah, well, first is home is the new hub. Home is now our restaurant, our movie theater, our schools, our offices, you know, our retail stores, you name it. And the notion of home is changing now that everyone was forced inside and online. So because of this, we're seeing new consumption and new types of behaviors. And we're actually seeing the resurgence of the family meal come back and, and mealtime. Uh, the second is consumers 
given this is a pandemic, are super concerned about their health and the health of their families. So they're eating functional foods, which are essentially foods um, that have a specific function, that have nutrition plus in them, that help you to achieve different health benefits you desire, whether it's foods that boost your immunity, foods that help you sleep, um, foods that give you energy and more. So we also saw on the flip side um, an increase in functional indulgence, which is the same thing. So we've been seeing a lot of jokes online about the quarantine 15 and people gaining weight during this time because of this new focus around mealtime and the fun that baking and cooking can really bring during this time. And the third I would mention is that a lot of consumers are super interested in buying locally and buying direct from their producers. They want to support their local community. They've seen some supply chain issues, and they believe that is a way that they can give back. So we're seeing really a resurgence of local buying during this time which is great for the local communities that are really getting that help right now. Eve, talk about how brands and companies are adapting on the fly now to meet these new consumer mindsets and lifestyle changes. People have to stay limber right now. Yes. Yeah, so first, when you talk about home as the new hub, there's a recognition that home is now a gaming center and an entertainment center. Um, so we're seeing some companies also recognize that home is now the new camp for kids. So Walmart launched this summer Camp Walmart, which was essentially a program, a virtual program that involved celebrities who acted as camp counselors and taught different camp classes, whether it was arts and crafts or fitness classes. So this really helped parents who had kids at home who weren't expecting to be home um, deal with um, the loss of camp. And then second, we've seen um, companies like Nintendo, Animal Crossing, partner with Hellman's, Manny's, to create a special feature in game where gamers and those young gamers can go to Hellman's Island, drop off their food waste in the game Animal Crossing, and that actually donates meals to real families who are experiencing hunger in the United States. Second, when you talk about functional foods, we're seeing a lot of brands talk about their immunity benefits and come out with immunity-boosting products during this time. And last, we've seen this resurgence in local buying, and we've seen farmers markets go online. So one great example of this is a company called Local Maverick that's based in Burlington, Vermont. And the founder actually worked in marketing and he saw the impact on the local community. He quit his job and he founded this company that is the future of farmers markets and allows these local producers to sell their products online and connects them to local consumers in the area. So we're seeing an influx of these entrepreneurial ideas that fit these new COVID consumer needs. That's fantastic. I think the more that consumers get a chance to see where their food comes from, they get to meet the farmers, it really develops that relationship that seems to be lacking. And we seem to be getting further and further away from the farm as consumers. Now, Paul, let's bring you into the conversation. As a lead who works directly with checkoff partners like McDonald's, Domino's, Taco Bell, and even Pizza Hut, how has their business fared during the pandemic? When the, when the pandemic hit, it was immediately disrupted in really three ways. You think about McDonald's, Taco Bell, they do 25 to 35% of their business dine-in. 
that completely evaporated. Second, you know, delivery. When you think about the pizza guys, they have a high contact business, getting pizza delivered uh, to your house, answering the door. And we were still learning how COVID was, you know, contacted. So that business was affected. And then third, as consumers stayed home, they started to really shift from, you know, in ways they order and, and, and interact with the, the food service industry. And they started using digital applications, using their, you know, their, their phone apps and things like that to contact with the consumer. And it was it just put a, uh, we think about the technology space and the data space, a, aggressive push in that environment uh, to orders and to distribute and communicate. And, and it's just a, a, a astounding pressure on the part, uh, industry. Yeah, it, it's hard to see. But you know what? The checkoff was standing ready, and the checkoff got involved so quickly. Talk about how the dairy checkoff did get involved to curb that sudden shock to demand at some of these restaurant partners you have. The first thing we did with the partners is engage them in the hunger situation. You know, as, as 17 million people were added to you know the unemployment rolls, you know they all raised their hand and participated and got involved with the Feeding Americas and the, and the local hunger efforts by donating food. So, so we worked with them to do that. And then we started to focus immediately on the sales. As you mentioned, and Barb talked about 50% uh, percent of you know key items like cheese and butter go through the food service. So we knew we, we needed to work with this industry to, to immediately help solve the need and, and, and create demand. And so we created demand in three ways. One, if you just add up those big four players, Domino's, Taco Bell, McDonald's, and Pizza Hut, they have 80 million users of their applications, you know, on the phones. And so we activated digital promotions uh, to talk about the power of dairy, to, to, to tell the farmer's story, and to drive uh, awareness and usage. You know, whether it's McDonald's and McCafe, you know, on, on a Taco Bell perspective, we, we, uh, we have two scientists embedded, and we have scientists embedded at several partnerships. But at, at Taco Bell, we started creating new uh, mill occasions, created mill kits for people to make meals at home using Taco Bell. We created, uh, I'll call it cravings packs, almost family-sized packs versus, you know, the typical $5 box. Uh, we, we also in enacted new types of partnerships. You know, with Pizza Hut, we brought in Jimmy Fallon. You know, I'm sure the farmer families were affected. We were the graduations were thrown out of, you know, people weren't able to have great celebrations with their families. Graduations were canceled. And so with Jimmy Fallon, we gave away 500,000 pizzas to on, on, with Pizza Hut and to uh, graduating seniors. And he celebrated and talked about the, how great the dairy farmers were at being part of the promotion. And, the, you know, one of the key things of driving sales, more than 40 percent of the people who engaged with the promotion had never used uh, the Pizza Hut app. So it's just creating new users in the dairy industry. And, you know, the average pizza moves a lot of volume. And uh, another way we did is we immediately worked with uh, Domino's. We'd actually piloted a year ago non-contact uh, carry out. And uh, just we always uh, with these partners are looking at new technology to, to make sure dairy's front and center against other competitors in the digital space. And so we were ready when COVID hit Domino's immediately flipped. And you still see the commercials today where they talk about car side delivery. You pull up through your app. They know you're there. You pop your trunk and they put it in your trunk. You didn't have to talk or say anything to anybody. So th those type of uh, programs and promotions immediately drove sales. You know, if you look at those four QSRs, they're significantly outpacing the other food service players. Domino's through mid-years, 14% growth. Wow. And, you know, the rest of the industry is struggling. So it just shows that ways that we moved a lot of volume to help maintain 
the milk and supply in the U.S. That's it. You're helping drive their sales while you're helping simultaneously the farmers in this country. So that has to feel pretty good. You built that bridge. Joining us now by phone from Pennsylvania is Marilyn Hersey. Marilyn, you also serve as a chair of Dairy Management, Inc., but you're a dairy farmer. How would you summarize your experience so far in 2020? Oh, uh, thank you, Christina, for um, for having me. This was such an unprecedented time. I, you know, no one could have prepared for this. No one anticipated this. I, you know, I don't know that anything has ever come close to this ever. But you know, as, as our cows never stop milking, so you know, when this happened, as farmers, we had to navigate through a lot, and we had to navigate through as plants were shutting down, with workers getting sick, we had to. Uh, navigate with restaurants shutting down and, and, you know, stores were limiting sales, which added to our frustration. There was plenty of milk in storage, and our cows were still milking, but, um, you know, I, I, people were buying in hordes and, and, and stores kind of panicked, too. But we saw something very positive, which was a renewed appreciation for farmers, for us. People started understanding the value of where their food comes from and having grocery stores filled with that food start you know that starts on our farms and we were still doing that every we were still farming as we have always done for generations but it seemed to really spark a new appreciation for us as farmers yeah, especially at the grocery stores. We all thought that it was a scarcity issue at first. And so I think a lot of people really did realize how important it is to have that milk in their refrigerator and that cheese as well. Barb, let's pick that conversation back up with you. We know that food insecurity is a global issue, but COVID-19 has put a magnifying glass on just how many people are struggling with hunger right now. Talk about the commitment from dairy farmers to fight food insecurity, including Gen Youth's work and DMI's partnership with Feeding America. Oh, I'm so glad you asked about that. And you know, I have to say, based on working for dairy farmers for as many years as I have, you know, this is exactly why farmers do what they do, to feed people. And I think that's particularly um, been critical um, as we've seen so many um, be fall into that food insecurity area. You know, and we're talking about kids at schools as well as families who are now, you know, leaning in and, and needing the food bank. So Feeding America is a longtime partner of DMI. We actually started working with them in 2012. And um, we went in at a time when we felt we could bring our nutrition expertise. We have a staff nationally and locally of over 100 dietitians. And we, along with the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, stepped in first to help Feeding America educate their clients on the importance of nutrient-rich food, and then to work with them in looking at their procurement of products, and importantly, nutrient-rich products like dairy and other um, healthy foods. So um, with the pandemic, um, you know, we worked intensely, as Paul said. We shifted our focus quickly. Job number one was to move product to market. Um, so we worked along with USDA, with MilkPep, which is the processor uh, checkoff program, and many dairy companies across the country. In this last year, about 465 million pounds of dairy were donated to Feeding America. 
During the early stages of the pandemic, our checkoff state, particularly at the state and regional level, I mean, that's where things really happen. They stepped in and worked with pantries and food banks across the country to quantify, to really understand what the demand was for milk in those local food banks. So we quickly connected those food banks with co-ops who had excess supply and processors, um, Kroger, DFA, many others. Um, and, and the result was amazing. Hundreds of thousands of gallons of milk moving into those pantries and food banks, along with hundreds of thousands of pounds of cheese, yogurt, cottage cheese, sour cream, all being processed specifically for the Feeding America system. It, it was an amazing feat, Christina, and uh, something I think we can all be proud of for yes. families in need. Absolutely. You were up against the clock. I mean, when you're working with perishable goods, you have a time clock that is always ticking. So it's amazing that you were able to do that. Joining us now by phone is Gerard Matthews, director of the dairy supply chain for Feeding America. Now, Gerard, you've had quite a year to contend with. What can you share about the needs for milk and other high demand foods for organizations like Feeding America right now? Yes. Uh, hello, Christina, and uh, thanks again for having me. Um, at Feeding America, facing hunger is really more is really more than just simply providing food. It's uh, it's about providing wellness, nourishment, and strength. It's about helping those not only survive but also to thrive on their journeys to stability. You know that's why our mission to provide the most nutritious food possible, like the fresh milk and other perishable products, to improve people's health and well-being, is very, very important. We know our food banks say they don't have, they don't receive enough milk to meet the demand, and the number one reason for that is inadequate milk donations and refrigeration capacity at our food banks and agencies. We know that milk is one of the most requested food items but least donated to our food bank clients. So before the pandemic began, millions of people in the U.S. struggled with hunger, as we all we know. Uh, and, and food insecurity in the U.S. Was at, was at its lowest since the Great Depression. But obviously, today, it's quite a different story. Even America estimates that as a result of the pandemic, that the number will rise to about 54 million people, including 18 million children, and, and that's about one in four that will be impacted in the year 2020. Building access for fresh dairy has also become increasingly important for our food banks and those most in need. Before the partnership evolved, our network had very limited fresh milk access or fresh dairy in general because of a number of different challenges, obviously, in the supply chain with distributing and sourcing fresh perishable products. Um, we, had, we had challenges getting it where it was needed most, you know, which is our food banks and those food insecure communities across the country. But when the partnership somewhat pivoted, to focus on access to milk and other fresh dairy products back in 2012, Feeding America's annual distribution was about uh, 173 million pounds and has grown significantly every year because of this partnership. 
But today, I think you heard Barb mention earlier that our annual distribution now for dairy has reached a total of 465 million pounds, which is quite an impact for those we serve across the country. I, I can't believe that. I mean, just to hear you say that you, you were serving 40 million and now 54 million is the new number. With the mounting impact of food insecurity, it really became evident when schools closed, underscoring their important role in providing food to some of our nation's hungriest children. I know someone who understands the impact on schools. It's Donna Martin. She's a registered dietitian. She serves as director of school nutrition for Burke County, Georgia. Joining us now by phone, Donna, talk about some of the challenges that you have faced in making sure that kids continue to receive the meals they rely on from public schools. Thank you, Christina, so much for having me on. I've been working in school nutrition for over 30 years, and nothing has ever been as challenging as this has been. We have 4,300 students in five schools in one of the largest rural counties in Georgia. We also have one of the highest percentages of food-insecure children in the country. 100% of our children eat at no cost, and 63% of them are on food stamps. So on March 17th, when the governor of Georgia shut us down, we had to immediately start feeding 4,300 students who were not coming to school. We immediately started rolling out 34 of our school buses to the community with bagged meals for students Monday through Friday. We bagged up breakfast, lunch, and supper for our very food insecure populations. Students were getting every day three servings of milk, three servings of fresh fruit, three servings of fresh vegetables, two cartons of juice, a breakfast entree, one lunch entree, and a supper entree. We did this for almost six months before school started back. We served over 750,000 meals and drove over 125,000 miles on our buses. You know, talk about what it's like <laughs> to, see, to see some of these kids when they're hungry. A lot of times, they don't know why they're not getting the food that they're used to getting. They can't understand what's happening. They're not able to focus on their schoolwork when they're hungry. Talk about some of the repercussions that can happen with this food insecurity. Well, we know that they are losing academic calendar months. We know that the lag in the summer when kids are not normally fed, that we know that over the summer they can lose one to two or three months of the academic school year. We know that they're irritable. We know that their health deteriorates. We know that their mental health is deteriorating, and we know that they are becoming, you know, they have low, they get anemic, they get sick more often, they don't come to school. So so we are seeing lots of problems with our kids. So we feel so fortunate in our county that we are really, really able to nourish our children on a daily basis when they're coming to school and then sending the food home and then on a weekly basis with our lunch boxes and our weekly boxes because we know the long-term repercussions of this. That you don't see it on a daily basis, but long-term we know that academically they are struggling, emotionally they are struggling. You know, we really, really appreciate the work that you're doing and your staff for that matter as you store up your riches in heaven. We know that this is a hard time, but you will be rewarded. Thank you so much. Eve, we want to go back to you. How can we maximize this moment? American consumers seem to have renewed interest right now in dairy and making sure that they can get it. How can we do a better job of sharing dairy's great story with younger generations? Yeah, you know, I think during this time, Dairy's nutrition story has come 
through loud and clear, I think that people are recognizing that dairy is the original superfood, that dairy is nature's multivitamin. I think another thing that we can do to take advantage of this opportunity with everyone in home and online is to share our sustainability story. Not many people realize the incredible strides that the dairy industry has made in sustainability in the past 10 years, especially younger generations like Gen Z who care so much about sustainability and who only prefer to purchase products that have a sustainability story and elements behind it. So I think that you will see from us a renewed focus on sharing this story and you'll see a renewed focus on farmers sharing their own stories because it's a great one. And we are committing to being net zero by 2050. Dairy brands are committing to be net zero, some of them by 2030. And I think that it's time to really talk about this with consumers and talk about all the changes, the great changes and innovation and strides that have been made. Absolutely. States like California have made major headway when it comes to dairy cattle and emissions. So this is really great that you're bringing this up. We do have a younger generation out there who needs to know more about agriculture and where their food comes from. Eve, let's continue our conversation and talk about some of the biggest market and consumer shifts that we have seen since the pandemic started. Yeah, I think... The first one is a widespread recognition between NGOs, consumers, and companies alike that climate change is the next pandemic. And during this time, we've seen environmental health and human health become linked in ways that we didn't expect. A Harvard study came out that linked air pollution to higher rates of death due to COVID. Um, CDC defined the term One Health back in the 2000s that really recognizes the link between environmental and human health. So that is a major shift. And so while many would think that during this time, that would be the last focus. It's actually a primary focus for businesses and consumers, especially those younger generations. The second is health as wealth. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic that impacts your health and consumers are gonna have a much greater focus on their health. And we're gonna see a lot of focus on preventative um, eating, eating for health benefits and a renewed interest in health and wellness that's even more accelerated than it was before for the pandemic. Wow. You know, given those trends that you just pointed out, what do you think that some of the biggest opportunities for dairy are right now? I think that dairy has an incredible sustainability story. Some of the things that farmers are doing right now in sustainability are incredible. And I think that what dairy can do is involve these younger generations who care so much about sustainability, who care so much about climate change. And I think we need to connect those consumers to the industry and we need to start listening and learning. And we also need to start telling our story. Um, and when it comes to health as wealth, I think that the dairy industry has an incredible opportunity um, to develop new and innovative products that meet all of consumers' wellness needs and all of their need states right now, whether it's calm and anxiety to immunity to energy, um, dairy's ability to innovate is going to be incredible around this space in the future. I just love hearing those words come from a young person's mouth. We need more of that. Now, Paul, let's talk about how the pandemic has impacted overall food service sales 
and what the future might look like as restaurants gradually reopen. Now, from, from a macro food service, again, we talked about the disruption. You think about fine dining or the limited service places like an Applebee's, it's down 70% or greater. You start to look at the next tier down, we, we call fast casual, like at the Panera's or a Mod Pizza, where again, more dine-in versus drive-through. Those things were down 40 to 50%. And then you get the quick serve arena, the McDonald's, the Wendy's. That category was down greater than 20%. You know, with and through our partners and the activities, our partners significantly outperformed uh, those. And actually, since we started those partnerships, the growth rate has been, um, we've averaged 3% dairy growth in an industry that's growing about 1%. You know, the disruption on food service has just been dramatic. They're saying that 25% of the restaurants will probably close within the next 12 months, you, you know, and that's in different segments, right? You're going to see an evolution to the things called uh, 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 ghost kitchens, as an example where it's not even a dine-in option. You know, and these ghost kitchens are set up for technology. You know, so you're guaranteed to get your double cheeseburger hot through new packaging systems and things like that. So investments in ghost kitchens and and, and uh, really warming technology and delivery technology is going to be critical. Pivoting to when, when you look at the uh, grocery space then, who's been a big beneficiary of the food service environment. You know, last year, less than 25% of people had ordered the groceries online. Since COVID hit, over 50% are ordering their groceries online. So you're seeing new technology to enable click and collect, click and delivery, new companies come into the space like Grubhub or Uber Eats. Uh, and then, you know, the big player that you have to watch for is Amazon. Just as they've taken over other categories, they, they have a great interest in entering the food space. You know, they first bought uh, Whole Foods in 2017. You know, more recently, Amazon has launched two new vehicles, Amazon Go, Amazon Fresh, and I encourage you to look those up. You know, Go is cash, a cashierless system. You know, Fresh is technology driven and, and uh, really enabling uh, different ways to get your groceries. And so, you know, as we look and, look and partner, and the good news is we want to make sure Gary's front and center in these emerging technology spaces. <laughs> Absolutely. Prime Now, you can get your groceries delivered in two hours if you live in one of the areas where it's feasible. All right, Barb, we're going to start to wrap the program up. I know that you definitely have many comments to, to add to what has been said tonight. So let's try to get everything in. I'll let you put a bow around the show. When you take a look at everything that's happened in 2020, you take a look at the long and the short run economics. What do you envision for the future of the dairy industry? Wow. Um, what a question. Um, you know, I would say in the short term, I think we're all going to continue to deal with uncertainty. Um, but as both Paul and Eve indicated, I personally think there's enormous opportunity for dairy and for dairy farmers, both from a wellness standpoint and from an environmental standpoint. We need to continue to meet people's evolving lifestyles and needs. And it's happening before our eyes, right? I mean, as we see families continue to evolve and, 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 and uh, you know, adjust to the, to the changes in their lives, innovation is key, um, both in the food we serve as well as, you know, what's happening on the farm. And, and it's certainly not a one-size-fits-all on farm. We absolutely know that uh, what's accomplishable varies depending on geography, on size, on technology access, all those things. But the category, you know, we, we as a category know that people are looking for health and wellness solutions, especially now, and new experiences, flavors, formats, ingredients. We've seen dairy adapt in so many 
many ways these last several months. And we know that's that's our new reality. It is. It absolutely is. And you know what? The checkoff has really stepped up and helped out our farmers during this critical time. I'm sure that they're grateful for you. What do you want farmers to know about the recent work that's been carried out by the checkoff on their behalf, Barb? You know, despite COVID-19 and, and the life-changing disruptions that we are all feeling, the dairy checkoff has never wavered from its mission of building trust in farmers and our products and driving sales. We started this year with a focus and we are gonna finish this year with that same focus and continue to evolve to drive that mission. You know, I'm really thrilled. I'm gonna share one, one last sort of statistic. There's a new report that came out from USDA in the last couple of weeks, and it is telling us that per capita consumption is up for all dairy, up in 2019, another seven pounds per capita to a new all-time high of 653 pounds per person. Wow. And you know what? There's headroom. There's opportunity for more growth if we continue to give people the experiences they want, you know, in their homes, in their diets, meeting their lifestyles. Um, there, there, there's, there's nothing but growth. Uh, well, we sure appreciate the work that you're doing for the nation's hardworking farm families. And that is it for this special program of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed the fifth episode and that you will keep coming back and keep telling your friends about this podcast. Uh, we have a lot more great stories to share as they relate to dairy as well as more insight and information to share. Uh, we've got some great guests lined up for the upcoming episodes, but if you have suggestions of people you'd like to hear from on this podcast, send them our way. We'd love to talk with them. Our email address is wde at wdexpo.com. Again, thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time.